Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And we're reading from verse 8 to verse 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 to 17. I said last week was the penultimate reading of this portion during these series of studies in Colossians. And uh, this is the final uh, reading of this portion of God's holy inspired word. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 through to 17. Let's hear the word of God. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, born nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, as we continue with our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians, my text today is taken from Colossians chapter 3 and in the verse 17. It reads as follows, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now, I've thought about a title. And the title over this text, this is what I thought. Discovering God's philosophy of the Christian life. Listen to it again. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now, let me begin I'll ask a question. What is your philosophy on life itself? Suppose I was to go round the various estates here in Carrie Duff and conduct a survey and ask that fundamental basic question to the people that answered the doors. What is your philosophy or what is your take in life? So we're asking people, what's their goal? What's their aim? What's their take? What's their philosophy in life? I suppose that I would hear some people saying to me, well, well, I would love to be rich, 
like a, a millionaire or a billionaire. Maybe someone else would say, well, my philosophy is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Maybe someone else would say, well, look, my philosophy in life, my aim and goal is to be outrageously happy. I would love to live a problem-free life. Now, what's your philosophy in life? Remember, there's only two ways to gain happiness. You personally could try and arrange your lifestyle and circumstances so that you would outwardly be very happy. So, so you study hard at school as a young person. You maybe get a, a few O-levels or A-levels. And then you go to university and do a degree and you, you enter into what you describe as a fulfilling job. And you, you, you marry a fantastic man or woman. And you, you have a great marriage. And you have the best house that money could buy in the best location. And you have two or three children. And maybe you have a couple of nice cars. Well, let's say there's those lovely Porsche cars that cost over £100,000 each. And you have a wee break now and again to a wee hotel. And you also have a fabulous holiday at least once per year. And you were thinking to yourself, well, if I had all that, and that was my lot and station, I would be outrageously happy. Let me tell you, you'd not be truly happy. Do you know that such a lifestyle I've described is not secure? Do you know that it will not satisfy? Do you know that it will not bring you happiness? Let me tell you why. Do you not know that you could lose your job? Do you know that there's not one person that lives their life on earth, lives a trouble-free life? How do I know that? The Bible says man that is born of woman is of few years and full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. Nahum the prophet talked about the day of trouble. Nahum 1 and 7. You see, you never have a trouble-free marriage. You'll never have a trouble-free family. It's possible even the beautiful home in the best location, you could lose it. It's possible that you could have an accident even in the beautiful Porsche car. It's possible that your life could be turned upside down. You could be diagnosed with a, a disease. You could become very sick. Do you know that one day you will die? Listen to what the prophet Samuel said. And we've made reference to um, Samuel Dorman here. But, but think about what the, the prophet Samuel says in um, 2 Samuel in uh, chapter 14 and in the verse uh, 14. Listen to these words. For we must needs die and are as water spilt in the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person. Yet does he devise means that has banished be not expelled from him. What about factoring in things like war? Do you not feel that we're on the cusp of World War III? What about factoring in great disasters? Maybe, maybe an earthquake. Maybe a tsunami. You see, people are asking today, when they think about what their goal, their aim and philosophy is in life, if it's to be outrageously happy, then the question is, well, where do I find happiness? Where do I find inner peace and joy and true contentment? And of course, the only answer is the Bible's answer. And what's the Bible's answer? The Bible answer is found in the Lord. 
Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 144 and in the verse 15. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. You see, if you know and love the living and the true God as your God, then you will begin to experience, you'll begin to know True, lasting happiness. And even in a day of trouble and a day of calamity, when trials are so great, you'll be able to say with Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. You've heard of the great George Mueller of Bristol. He was a man who lived by faith in God. He was like Amy Carmichael. Have faith in God. Lord, help me, whatever the need is. And he was a man of prayer. And he was a man who helped support, look after thousands of orphans every day, supplying them food, clothing, and heat. And he practiced, and he taught this as the first business of a true Christian in the morning, is to seek to be truly happy in the Lord. Now here's the question. If your goal and philosophy in life is not really to be rich, not to eat, drink, and be merry, for you know that tomorrow you die, but to be outrageously happy, then I ask you this question, are you truly happy this morning? Look at Colossians 3, verse 17. Because this is not man's philosophy in life. This is God's pronouncement. This is what he says in Colossians 3. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Here's a fundamental principle for living out the Christian life. I have called it God's philosophy of the Christian life. You see, all that the Bible teaches about life Everything connected to the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, it's all compressed into this tremendous little text of Holy Scripture. Three things this morning. One, the consideration that is emphasized. If you look at the text, it says, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, now what does that mean? Of course, we know that the name is very important. The name is full of biblical significance. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, the name of the Lord Jesus indicates something about his person and work. To do all in the name of the Lord Jesus means that you are professing that you're in a vital relationship with him. That you're in union with him. That, that you live your life in harmony with his revealed will. That you live your life in subjection to his authority. That you live your life in dependence on him and his power and wisdom and grace. And you live your life giving thanks every day to God the Father by him. Thank you, Lord, for life. Thank you, Lord, for home and every blessing. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my church. We even thank you for the pastor this morning. You see, remember, Paul is writing to a church that's beset by heresy. 
False teachers have come into Colossae. False teachers are imposing in that church. Don't know if it was big or small. They were imposing man-made rules. Man-made regulations. You have to do this. You have to do that. But the Apostle Paul is reminding them and urging them to consider this fundamental principle. And this fundamental principle allows every individual born-again believer to work things out for themselves. In all that they do, in all that they say, how are they to do it? They're to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. They're free to do it all in the name of the Lord. They're not in bondage. They are led to do all that they do. Led all to do all that they say in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now let's think for a little moment. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we have a life of salvation. See, remember, he's the Redeemer. Remember, it's in the name of the Lord Jesus we have salvation. Matthew 1.21, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And we also read in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You need to be saved. And there's only one name whereby you can be saved. And that's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the church that saves. It's Christ. We've emphasized that. And remember Paul says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And young people, the name of the Lord Jesus, or to give the full title, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the greatest name on earth. How do I know it's the greatest name on earth? Turn back there to Philippians chapter 2 verse 9. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who saves us and brings us into a, a right relationship with God. God is holy. He's holy far beyond we can ever think or imagine. You and I are sinful creatures. And because we're sinful, it's impossible for us in and of ourselves to come directly into God's presence. We have no direct approach to God because God is holy and we are sinful. We have no possibility of drawing near to God by ourselves in our own name or in the name of a church or in the name of a particular organization. And you couldn't come to God and say, well, look, I, I, I'm a free Presbyterian or, or, or I'm a Protestant or, 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 or I'm an orange man. No sinner in and of themselves is given the right of approach to this high and holy God. It's impossible. And if they ever did come near to that throne where God sits, they would be consumed. Because our God is a consuming fire. How do we draw near to God? How do we approach? The answer is in a vital relationship with Christ. In a vital union with Christ. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, he says this 
in Ephesians chapter 2 that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometime were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. He added this in Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Why? Because the Bible teaches for there's one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And I asked this morning, are you trusting in the person and work of the only mediator who is Jesus Christ? And on the ground of his blood atonement, God's holy justice was satisfied. His wrath was appeased. The righteousness of God that Christ earned by his sinless life, he puts that to the account of everyone who trusts in him alone for salvation. See, loads of people today claim that they believe in God. If I went round the doors and asked, do you believe in God? I think I would get a fair uh, percentage of yeses on the doors. But which God? Is it the one living and true God? The God who is holy? The God who you alone can approach only through Jesus Christ his Son? You see, that's the gospel. And there's no good news apart from him. Remember what John says in John chapter 20 and in the verse 31. He said this, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we have a life of salvation. And I ask this morning, you see him, do you know Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Was there a time you come to him as a sinner and prayed, Lord, have mercy in me, a sinner? In the name of the Lord Jesus, there's a life of submission. You see, the idea here is do all in the name of the Lord Jesus is that of total submission to Christ. You're living primarily under his lordship, under his supreme authority. Remember, I've already read Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. God has given him a name above every name. And therefore, you're to live a life of submission to his lordship because of his name. You see, who gave me the right to say the things that I say from the pulpit? Who gave me the right to do the things that I do? And the answer is Jesus Christ. We live in a day when there's an evil doctrine of equality spread about, an evil doctrine of diversity, an evil doctrine of gender ideology, and it's been pushed for years in the United Kingdom, and it's affected our schools, it's affected offices, it's affected the very seat of government, and I want to tell you it's not biblical. None of it's biblical. This equality, diversity, gender ideology, it's, it's blasphemous, and it's been pushed by secularists, people who are anti-God and anti-Christ. It, it's, it's really satanic because the devil's at the back of it. And how many churches have fallen victim to inequality, diversity, gender ideology? And it's, they're not part of the true church. In fact, they're part of a false church. It's anti-Christian. And then people say to me, well, how dare you? You're being very arrogant. You see, this morning, I stand for the exclusiveness of the gospel. I stand to tell you there's only one way to be saved. Because the Lord Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I call people 
of all classes to repent and believe the gospel. You see, the uniqueness of the gospel must be upheld. The Lord Jesus, remember, in his commission to his disciples, said this in Matthew chapter 28 and verses 19 and 20. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In light of the fact that he said, all power, that means all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore. How up to date the Bible is. How relevant it is. Because we, we live in an evil day. Remember, the Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And the devil's at work. And he's using the secularists to push this agenda that's anti-Christian and anti-biblical. And you and I have to stand up for Christ. We're under his authority. And that applies to the school, the workplace, society. It applies to the church. Very quickly, in the name of the Lord Jesus, not only is there a life of salvation and a life of submission, but there's a life of supplication. One of my favorite texts of Scripture, and of course there's many, and we love the Bible. We love the uh, words uh, that are revealed therein in John 14, verse 13. One of the most beautiful things the Lord Jesus said to his people was this. John 14, verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When Amy Carmichael got down her knees in her room and prayed for a gift of 500 pounds to buy the iron hall that was going to become the welcome hall at the corner of Cumbria and Heller Street, she had faith in God. And as she prayed, she believed that if it was the will of God, God would answer prayer. And she prayed... And God answered. And you know, whatever your need is, you can go to God and say, Lord, help me. You can come together as a congregation and say, Lord, help us. Help us to see souls saved. Help us to see new families brought in. Help us to see the church grow, the children's ministry to grow. And I know at times we get discouraged. And I, I know that we were going well before COVID. And now after COVID, well, things have nosedived in that sense. But you know, the Lord is able Let's have faith in God. Because if we offer prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus, God hears and God can answer because he is able and willing and it's according, of course, to his will. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we have a life of sanctification. And in the quest for holiness, you'll have trials. You'll have troubles. You'll be reproached for the name of Christ at school, at work, at university in society, in the office. And the Bible says, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And even though we've got this mindset and this motto, holiness unto the Lord, because of a holy life and the world doesn't understand the life of the Christian and because we've heard this command, be ye holy for I am holy, then we're going to be reproached and it'll be because of the name of Christ. Do you know, people love Christmas. Everything to do with it. But they want the name of Christ out of it. They're happy with Xmas, but they don't want Christ named 
or glorified. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we also have a life of satisfaction. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul testified in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6, the Lord is my helper. You see, you and I can live out the Christian life in his enabling strength. On one occasion, the apostle Paul said, no man stood with me. He was standing before Caesar. 2 Timothy 4, verse 17. Everybody abandoned Paul. He, he was friendless. And he said this, nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. So he had the presence of the Lord. But he had more than that. He added this little bit in verse 17 of 2 Timothy 4, and strengthened me. You see, when you stand for Christ, even though you're reproached because of his name, you're not going to stand in your own strength or power. You're not going to stand in your own wisdom or your own ability. He will not fail. In the name of the Lord Jesus, there's a life of service. And we have Christ for our example. Think of how he speak. Never a man speak like this man. Luke 4.22. He was not bitter. He, he was not harsh-hearted. He was gracious. He always spoke the truth. And he spoke that truth in love. Think of his activity. It says, wist ye not, I must be about my father's business. And our goal is to live for him. To, to please him. To, to bring honor to him. And you see, I asked this morning, if you, you think of the outworking of this... What effect, what profound effect has his name on you? Does his name motivate you to live for him? Out of love for him. And you want to, to serve him. You, you want to, to follow him. You, you're willing to, to die for him. And it's all because of his wonderful name. You see, you'd never be able to get away from him. You're always under his eye. And that's a challenge, isn't it? That should have a profound effect. The name of the Lord Jesus. Even though it's hated and despised. We love that name. Because that name is high over all. That's the consideration that is envisaged. Or, or is uh, expected here. I want you to think something else very quickly. Think of the, the comprehension that's envisaged. Look again at our text. It says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed. Here's a very succinct summary of Christian living. It applies right across the board. And whatsoever you do. Now that's broad, isn't it? That's very comprehensive. That takes in everything. Literally, we could say, In everything that you do, in word, that's your speech, and deed. All your activities. It applies then to every thought. It applies to every word. It applies to every deed. Here's a very powerful general truth to live by. And it applies practically to every situation and station in life you find yourself in. Remember the legalist, the false teacher in Colossae comes along. He had rules for everything. The apostle Paul says, we don't need rules. We don't need regulations. Let this be your guide. Be motivated and live by this principle. Let everything you say and do be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our lives 
comprise our words. Comprise our works. It covers all aspects. Our relationship with one another in the church, that's what this passage is all about. Colossians 3, 18, living out the Christian life in the context of the local church as a worshiper of God, gathering together with others with like precious faith. And he's saying, let our words and our works in the context of church fellowship be to the exhortation, the encouragement to one another. Let us be those who help one another. Kind words, loving deeds do have a profound effect upon the church fellowship. Kind words and loving deeds strengthen and encourage and build up the fellowship of God's people. And you see, if if words are uttered and deeds are done and they're not done in the name of the Lord Jesus, they have power to wreck and destroy a fellowship. And many a church has been wrecked and destroyed because of unkind words and because of unlawful deeds. And they haven't been done in the name of the Lord Jesus. They They are sinful and they have never been repented of. See, some people ask me at times, can I do this, Mr. McLaughlin? Maybe more so years ago. Can I go here? And I say this. No standard that we embrace should be done that doesn't have him at the center. We should hold no opinions that doesn't have him at the center. We should do nothing that doesn't have him as a center. If he is our Lord and we live in submission to him, then if you're in doubt, somebody said, called me in years ago, if you're in doubt, leave it out. You ask yourself, will this bring dishonor to the Lord? If it dishonors the Lord, leave it out. Forget about it. If it's displeasing to him, and you know what displeases him, then then don't do it. What about our relationship and family life, marriage and children? What about our relationship among our friends, our our, our social life, who, who we hang about with, the places that we go, the things that we say, the things that we do, our relationship in the workplace? You see, there's a great talk today about secular space and and about a sacred space. But surely the whole of life is sacred. The whole of life is spiritually sacred. Think of the Christian in the workplace, works in a factory. He's there doing the Lord's work. I'm in the pulpit doing the Lord's work and he's in the factory doing the Lord's work. What about the woman folk at home? Or, Or the man at the home, washing the dishes? Mopping the floor, cleaning the toilets, changing nappies. Maybe doing a boring job. But you're doing it under what guise? You're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's a young boy called Arthur Pink. He's a tremendous writer, man of God. But his dad one day when he was a child was polishing or buffing his shiny shoes and I love to wear shiny shoes you know that and he said this to his dad what are you doing dad buffing away at the shoes with a cloth this is what he said and I quote I'm shining my shoes as if the Lord Jesus was going to wear them today son isn't that tremendous there's another preacher called Andrew Bonner and in one of his travels he was in modern day Iraq 
He was near the area of the ancient Babylon. And somebody had sold him a brick. I'm not saying it was the original brick, but it was a, maybe an imitation brick of the uh, great tower of Babel. And um, out of the, the temple in Babylon, and each brick had the name of the king and stamped on it. And he brought it home and he showed it to his congregation. And he, he urged the congregation that in all that they do, they should bear the name of the king. And sometime later, when he was out visiting, one of the ladies confessed to him and said, You know, Reverend Bonner, um, I'm a housewife, but there's some things I hate doing in the house. And one of the things I hate doing is, is cleaning and making beds. And she says, I, I thought about your sermon. And many of the time I didn't clean the house for days. And many of the time I didn't make the bed for days. But I thought about your sermon. Do you all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you know now I make the beds in the name of the Lord Jesus. I clean the house in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you see, even the menial task will make all the difference if it's done in the name of the Lord Jesus. And how does this apply to the young people? Tidy your room. Mow the grass. Help with the dishes. If you know his name, if you love him as Lord and Redeemer, then remember every day, whether it's school, home, leisure activity, you're on a secret service mission. You're in his mission. You do it all in his name. Having dinner at the table, having table manners, giving thanks. You see, if you can't do it in his name, if you can't say, I'm doing it in his name, then it's a sin. It's contrary to holiness of life. It's contrary to his will. So the question for us and me is this. Does my speech indicate I'm saying it in the name of the Lord Jesus? Does my deeds indicate I'm doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus? You see, that's the comprehension that's envisaged here. It applies to all areas of life. And one final thing. You've been very patient. A commendation that's experienced. Notice these words. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Thanking God for all that happens in life's journey. Because you remember who he is. You remember you're in a relationship with him. You're, you're in union with him. You, you remember your identification with him. You, you remember that your goal is to submit to his sovereign dealings with you. You remember that your life is under his control. And you remember that all things that happen are in harmony with his will. And things happen when you can't understand. You won't be able to trace his good hand. You'll begin to question. Do you know the opposite of thanksgiving is grumbling? Wasn't grumbling and murmuring a, a sin that kept a whole generation of the children of Israel out of the promised land for 40 years? Whenever they grumbled and complained, they were impinging upon God's character. They, they were implying, well, well, he's not really God. And they were implying, he's certainly not good as God. They were implying that his word wasn't true. They were implying he's not able. You see, let's confess that we're all prone to grumble. And we don't grumble when everything's going good. But we grumble when things are hard and difficult. But even in the hard and difficult times, we're to thank God. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. And again I say rejoice. 
giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let me finish with this story. In Dallas, Texas, you've heard of Dallas Theological Seminary. And there was a, 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 a lecturer there called Dr. John Hanna, and he had just got called to be a lecturer in Dallas Theological Seminary. He, he, he was in another state, so he's out of state. And he believes that the Lord wants him to take up this call, and he accepts it, and he has to uh, then at a certain date pack his car, sell his house, and he has to move to Dallas, Texas. So on the road, having sold his house, they're on the road in a Volkswagen car, and they're driving out of state, heading towards the state of Dallas. And they're in some wee country road somewhere out of state, and um, the car starts to smoke. There's bellowing out of it. And the wife's frightened and the children, they're all upset. And what's happening, Daddy? And got everybody out of the car. And all of a sudden, as they get out of the car, the car burst into flames. Could you imagine that? All their personal belongings, personal items, some clothes, passports, books that he had in the car. Uh, and, and they're all gone. And what did they do? Do you know what they did? The whole family got down at the side of the road. And they sung the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And they committed the whole matter to the Lord. See, that's giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Because they knew this hadn't taken God by surprise. It was under his control and that the Lord would work it out for good and for his glory. And that's at the heart of this commendation that is experienced here. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I pray this morning we'll consider this matter. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I, I pray that we'll see how comprehensive it is. And I pray that we'll rejoice offering this commendation. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him.